Welcome to Finding My Yum, a sex-positive podcast celebrating all forms of sexual expression. Each week, we bring on a new guest to share their journey. We talk honestly and openly about what they're into and what sex, kinks, love, and more look like in the real world. I'm Jerry Courtney Austin, and I am your host. And today, I am so thrilled to have Dan Kojeha here, full-time housing lawyer and part-time educator. We talk about gendered language. We talk about their experience and their journey, and it's inspiring, and it's awesome. I learned a lot. I think the more that we can talk about using our language in a conscious manner, especially those of us with privilege, the better. So thank you so much for coming on, Dan. Before we get to the episode, this is my first intro outro on my own. Oh my God. Uh, It's wild. It's so interesting. I'm like staring at myself while I'm recording. Uh, So yes, thank you for, for being here though. And you know, Human beings are always evolving. I am evolving and changing, and I'm so grateful to all of Will's service and for being a part of this amazing team and and seeing this show through so many different iterations and and this is the latest and so now it gets to be my full baby and um I don't know what that means but it, it, it is fully mine now and I'm super excited to to take it into all different directions and and just see where where it wants to go from here this finding my yum um yeah art is just uh it's exciting so thanks for for being a part of the community and for being for being here with me i i i love you all uh before we get to the episode i wanted to just talk a little about uh, a little bit about the history of pride happy pride month y'all uh it is june this is Pride Month, uh, and there's so much more to Pride than just the pretty flags and the fun parties and and all of that. And so I wanted to talk about the people who are owed credit for uh, beginning the 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 riots and getting this activism in in a way that's manifesting to this day. You know, there's a a lot of a lot we need to continue to do to work to give everybody the rights that they are entitled to and the acknowledgement absolutely um, and and these people are the ones that started it so pride month started with the stonewall uprising in new york city on june 28th 1969 it's my understanding that homosexuality was outlawed in all the states of the united states except for illinois but i'm not clear I'm not clear on what that actually means I you know I I think it's safe to say nationally homosexuality was um if not illegal frowned upon and uh certainly uh not something that was celebrated and so in New York City on June 28th 1969 there was a police invasion of a gay club uh, located in Greenwich Village and riots and protests ensued throughout the city um 
Marsha P. Johnson, a black trans person and activist, uh, is credited along with uh, activist and a trans person, Sylvia Rivera, for uh, starting the riots, uh, launching the first bottle, uh, et cetera, and beginning beginning this 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 violence that um, was was necessary in order to to start this movement in a real way. And so, Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera are two names that you should know, and I should also know, and that we need to raise up and lift up um, as our fellow trans brothers and sisters and trans folks need need our support and and awareness and um and people to talk about them and so um yeah Rivera and Johnson created co-created star which is a street transvestite action revolutionaries to help homeless lgbtq plus youth uh, Rivera died in 2002 and Johnson in 1992 and actually it was announced last year that a monument commemorating both women will be built in New York's uh, Greenwich Village which is really exciting and I just want to talk a little bit about the flag so what is the pride symbol right um the pride symbol is generally known as the rainbow flag, which was created by artist Gilbert Baker in 1978. And it's widely known as the symbol of pride, but there are multiple uh, flags, pride flags. And so one example is in Philadelphia in 2017, the pride flag was redesigned to include the colors brown and black in an effort to promote diversity and inclusion and to honor the lives of our black and brown uh, LGBT Q plus folks. Uh, the lesbian flag has several iterations. Uh, one created in 2018 by Emily Gwen features shades of orange, purple, and pink. And then the trans flag features light blue and light pink, which represent colors traditionally given to baby girls and boys at birth. And the white represents intersex, transitioning, or gender nonconforming folks. And the flag was created by transgender activist Monica Helms in 1999. I imagine there are more than that. And this is by far not a comprehensive history of Pride Month, but I do think it's really important to honor the history of the origins of this month and 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 know where it came from and, and honor those folks that paved the way for uh, where we are now and all the work that is still to come. So please do some more research and, and also educate yourselves. It's so important to know to know what's going on, right? And to, to not just support something really blindly, although support it with all your fucking might. Um, and so I'll, I'll post some links at the bottom of the show notes. Uh, but also, yeah, do your own research and get and get clear on, on why this month is in June and, and, and why it exists in the first place. Anyways, that is enough of me rambling on. I'm so grateful to, to be here and to still be bringing you content and new episodes. Dan is amazing. You are going to thoroughly love him. So without further ado, enjoy!
Yay! Welcome to Finding My Yum. I'm so excited. Today we have Dan Kojeha here. He is um, based in San Diego, California, and is a full-time housing attorney and a part-time educator. If he is not in court, he is likely, likely speaking on issues surrounding the transgender, gender non-conforming community, or volunteering doing pro bono legal name and gender marker changes. Daniel's hobbies include surfing, reading, and cooking. Thank you so much for taking your time to be here. I'm so excited to talk with you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, I follow you on Instagram, um, which your Instagram ha- handle is transcend uh, the, the binary. Is that transcend right? Transcend the binary underscore. Yeah, um, and it, I love it. I mean, I like. I think the the most recent series you've been doing is is uh, non-binary terms like gender non. What I'm like losing all yeah, of my so words. What but, I've yeah, so what I've been recently doing is. Uh, gender neutral alternatives. There we go. So, <laughs> that was the word. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's mostly just um, based on noticing that there are so many terms and things that are unnecessarily gendered. Yeah, yeah. I think it's 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 amazing in the in the time that I've been doing this podcast, and even more more recently as I've become so much more focused on my language and my intention within it, and and specificity that like how much we gender everything, <laughs> um, and that it yeah it, it it's it's infiltrated every aspect of 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 our language and 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 our world. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like with the the gender neutral alternatives in particular, like that comes from like unnecessary gendered language and then being around people that identify outside the binary and how they relate to the world and how the world relates to them. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I find like, you know, as like a cis hetero woman, like even I appreciate the neutrality of these words because like, you know, forever I've, I'm an actor and forever I've, didn't like that they genderized you know actor and actress and didn't want to use that term and so even like this neutral thing of like not having to identify you know one specific way even for me I find it really almost like a relief and and more helpful in in communicating as just like an equal playing field. Definitely. There's so many words that um, can connotate the same meaning without Mm -hmm. having to be gendered. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the English language is is so complicated and interesting. And so are, all, you know, all languages, but it, it is is my primary language. And I found like the nuance in, in the way that we we combine words and sentences is, is often, um, you know, there's so many other ways that we could say things that we just get comfortable. Um, well, amazing. And so I'd love to hear about your journey and how, um, you know, about the amazing legal work that you do and, um, you know, but your journey to this point and to being an educator online and to the housing work that you're doing, like, how how did you get here? <laughs> what, <laughs> what, and, you know, like, what are some of, of, of the moments that stick out to you of, like, really what got you to this point to, to becoming the face of, of these, like, you know, at the forefront of, of these movements? Wow. Um, so, so many things, mm-hmm. <laughs> but boiling it down into a brief 
um, concise, relatable piece would mostly be so I, I identify as transgender nonconforming. So um, as to law, I actually got my bachelor's degree in psychology and mm. I worked in a psych hospital and it was way too much for me. Shout out to anyone who does that. Um, yeah. I, I couldn't do it. And I um, was surrounded by the political movement of 2016. And I decided to go to law school. Oh, so, wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. That makes so sense. So I went to law school. And um, during law school, I volunteered at numerous nonprofits, but I found myself working in. Um, areas that had to deal with people that were unhoused or close to being unhoused Mm -hmm. um so after law school I got my first job in employment law and then I transitioned recently into full-time housing during the pandemic oh wow oh my gosh (laughs) yeah and so I did that because I saw that it was really needed and unfortunately there are a lot of um queer folks and trans folks that I help um, often in housing or a lot of people that I see here in in the city that I grow up in or here that um, unfortunately didn't have help. So now they're unhoused. Mm -hmm. So that's how I ended up in housing. And then as to what I do online with educating, That has come from basically just seeing a need for it. So um, a lot of people would reach out to me about how I identify as non-binary and ask me, so how would someone refer to someone that is non-binary in relation to being their uncle or aunt or something of that nature? Mm -hmm. And so it really came from just... um, people asking me and then doing my own research on it yeah um I want to get back to all of that but I am curious did you say you're from uh where you where you currently live now from from San Diego no so I am originally from Philadelphia oh okay and so I'm curious about like when you were growing up you know, I, I I always like to ask, like, what was the predominant messaging around sex, around sexuality in, like, the space that you were in and in, in, in your household or in school? Um, because I think, you know, sex education is so severely lacking um, across the whole country. And, and I'm curious about what your experience was in the foundation that, that you grew up in. Yeah, so... I was really lucky that my mom was very forward in everything Mm. in talking about sex and sexuality and gender. She was always very accepting. Mm -hmm. And um, so I don't think I ever really got a sex education in school beyond like (laughs) the the, beyond the initial like I believe at some point in middle school in health class like we went through puberty and and abstinence I think that's really the only thing I can think about um in in talking about school um but most of my sex education came from my mom and asking questions Oh, cool. or just like her realizing that teenagers do certain things and 
start to ex explore their sexuality. So I sure. think like um, my mom had a lot of awkward conversations with me. <laughs> yeah. And then a lot of my education came from queer spaces. So mm. going to like um, different groups that were for LGBTQIA plus youth. Um, I was fortunate that there were people that brought in like uh, sex educators and oh, wow. people that talked about, you know, the difference of reality versus the porn industry and things of that nature. Mm. So um I guess I would say I had a unique introduction. Yeah. How did you find these these spaces? These like queer and LGBTQIA plus? <laughs> the internet. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, the internet. And luckily, I grew up in a big city. I grew up in the city mm -hmm. of Philadelphia. And so they had LGBT centers that had um, youth groups and activities. And the schools I went to always had what would be I don't know if they're so called this but like gay straight alliances they were called when I was in yeah, school. Yeah me too me too. Mm -hmm. So I don't know I don't think that's what they're called anymore. Yeah. Um, it seems not very inclusive when it's like talked about just as gay or straight. Right but, right right absolutely but, yeah. But that's what it was called um, when I was in school and that's that that helped as well. Mm. Amazing and then what brought you out to the west coast? I always wanted to come to the West Coast. I visited and then I saw my opportunity in law school. And oh, so law school. Oh. I got accepted to law school and then I came out here and took the bar out here and I'm still here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. And so then um, I love that. So then your journey here was only has only been for like a couple of years, four, four years. years. Yeah. Um, almost five, I guess. But OK, great. So I want to get back to the the Instagram and the resource that you've created because people are reaching out. And so I'm curious, like, how did people even start reaching out? Like, how did they know that you could be a resource and that you were available to educate people in this way or or, or even answer these these questions? So I don't think that people inherently knew that, but people, when they um, don't know many trans folks or, net, or people that are gender non-conforming, mm -hmm. um, automatically reach out to you and ask you questions that even you yourself may not know. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how it started. And then me, um, in my own time, I've always done things that have been educational. So I've always done talks regarding sex and gender um since I was in high school I've been and I did different things like educating different uh, businesses about how to be more inclusive and things mm -hmm. so I think that's just something that I've always been interested in and then um after a few people asked me questions and then I started to look for those answers and couldn't find them mm. I kind of like found that own space for myself where yeah. there was no one yeah, and so I'm wondering, um, you know, what what are the main topics other than these gender neutral pronouns, which are amazing that you talk about, and how has it impacted your own awareness and your own journey um, surrounding these topics and your own like expression, um, or has it impacted, you know? Yeah, so I definitely think that. I've become more conscious of the language I use mm. and how 
um, the language we use is um, internalized by others and and just how words have meaning and are very um, have effects. So the way we use them. So for me, that means I've started to realize how many things are gendered. Mm-hmm. Additionally, living by the border. So I live like 20 miles from the Mexico, USA, Tijuana border. Mm-hmm. So I also encounter languages outside of English that are always gendered. Yeah. Um, and, and how that interplays with it. So I think that even the little exploration I've done has opened up other doors of other things that I've started to consider. Mm, like what? Well, how many languages, um, there are some languages like um, German that automatically has neutral pronouns. And mm. so... Um, there's also like uh in the Swedish language there's certain language uh that have just like neutrals instead of being um masculine or feminine and then we have languages like Spanish for example that everything um innate like inanimate objects like a house is feminine right a car is masculine so like just how we associate gender with certain things or how right. we don't associate gender with certain things that aren't even gendered because they're not a living thing that has a gender. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, yeah, like so often I feel like we gender boats and, yeah. you know, possessions and things become these projections of the binary that that we've subscribed to. Definitely. And it's just like very peculiar when we start to think about it. Yeah, it is. really. Why do we do this? Is it so we can relate to these things on a different level? I I don't know. I don't have the answers. I'm not I'm not running a study on it currently, but it's, it's interesting to think about. Yeah. And so I'm wondering for you particularly, um, what like have you found like I was saying for myself, like neutralizing the language, I do feel like is very helpful. And have you found a similar thing or has some, has what has come up for you in terms of the way that you are now employing language? And has that shifted your experience of the world? Or I don't know, maybe not that dramatic, but just, um, yeah, in any aspect changed anything? So I try to not use pronouns as much as possible Mm. um, in my writing. So in when I work as a legal professional, a lot of my job is writing. Yeah. And so I often try to either use another noun that describes that person like plaintiff or defendant or and, and that can be done with anything, not just in legal, but like doctor, patient, things of that nature. Sure. I try to switch out things that have pronouns with another sort of noun that can be just as descriptive. Mm. Um, like, for example, doctor patient. Uh, a lot of times, if that's like expert things or landlord oh, got it. tenant. So, got it. Okay. a lot of times I'll use landlord or tenant instead of using, for example, a title with a Mr. or Mrs. in front of it. Um, got it. 
I think that's the main thing that I try to do is not assume gender when talking about someone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm curious your experience in, in law school. Did you see in your particular program, you know, any shift that that was encompassing of how we're moving forward with language and more inclusivity? Um, what Was that something that you saw at all or, or is that not part of the conversation yet? Hopefully no. <laughs> no. So unfortunately the legal profession is still very traditional mm-hmm. um out so i've worked in the legal professional in pennsylvania where i initially started and then here in southern california there's drastic difference even in that in terms of how professional or traditional they are oh interesting um i would say the east coast is extremely um what we would term old school Mm. they required that you wear suits to law school some of them like every day um but so my profession in general is very male dominated yeah um in law school it's the same way so seeing i i know of actually two other gender non-conforming trans lawyers in san diego so there are there is a community and there is um like a transgender bar association so there are people in the profession that are pushing um so where it mostly comes up i would think is when people represent trans people mostly not actually like within within the community itself Mm -hmm. but when um, they have to represent people and they're wondering how to refer to them if they have to mm. talk to them on the witness stand or cross-examine them. But I would say overall, unfortunately, the legal profession in terms of finding non-binary language or language outside of the binary is nowhere near that state. Yeah, yeah I find that so, you know, I, I like for a profession that's that's so um, focused on language, um, you know, an articulation of an argument and a point of view. Um, it it is interesting to see like how how slowly things sort of start to take effect um, and permeate, you know, throughout the entirety of of culture. Um, yeah, and so I guess, and I, you know, it, this is just. I'm curious about in your ideal world of like what what they would talk about in law school and how they would prepare lawyers to um, be advocates in the world as it is now. And hopefully, you know, as we continue and progress further, like what what would you hope that would be a part of the legal education if you could design like some kind of curriculum? Well, I would love there to just be some sort of, and this can be applicable to not just like trans people, but um, people, any minority in the U.S., because unfortunately we have a long history of disparities and and oppression, is recognizing trans folks and people outside of the binary as a marginalized group and how um, that has been weaponized in society. So that that history and how lengthy that is and how that's been articulated in the law 
and then additionally moving towards a language that is not assuming of gender. And that's not just for people that identify outside of the binary. Sure. That's just in general. It would be helpful for us to come up with some sort of uniform language there. Um, like coding, for example, there are things that are symbolic and even in law school people that go to law school we have little symbols like a triangle means defendant and things of that nature so they're mm -hmm. a way to symbolize and, and express ourselves in a way that it articulates exactly what we mean yeah without using a pronoun or even assuming a gender right a right um yeah. And, and it, for some reason, I think it's just because we've been doing this for so long, but it feels it feels like a lot of work. But I think it would take a lot of work out of it. <laughs> you know, if we yeah. stop being so concerned with with what gender somebody is, um, which I think is like an interesting question for all of us to unpack of like, why do we need to know so badly? Like what? It, why does it mean so much? Um uh, but yeah, and so I think it would it would be easier for everybody, you know, like it would just I it would Absolutely. lead to a, yeah, um, amazing. Well, I'd love to talk about the work that you're currently doing for um, the legal work in terms of housing, and you spoke about um, the queer and trans community that you work with and how it wasn't supportive, and now they are unhoused because of that lack of support and um, just just what you're facing in terms of of COVID, um, because it, I think it's really people need to know you know what what the reality of the situation is. Yeah, so um, trans people and people that identify outside of binary male and female or cisgender typically have high unemployment rates, high rates of being discriminated against, and high rates of being unhoused. Mm -hmm. And these things all um, intersect with each other and uh, build off of each other and are intertwined. So... That being said, unfortunately, one with the COVID crisis, my work right now is extremely busy. Um, sure. The housing crisis has exacerbated so many other issues that people were already facing in mm -hmm. terms of unemployment and housing discriminations or, or problems that they've had. So um, particularly in where I live, unfortunately, I do see a lot of trans clients. So a lot of people that are not unhoused yet, but are on the brink of being unhoused. So they're, they have an eviction facing them and they're now in court fighting that. Um, the, the laws for discrimination and people being um, evicted are very um, balanced in favor of landlords, unfortunately. Mm. So um, it's really hard for clients to prove if they are being discriminated against. Mm -hmm. And and why is that? Is that because the like the legal um, barrier of proof is so high, or it's just yeah? Why is that? So it's essentially a, the legal analysis is so a person has to allege that they've been discriminated against 
And then that burden shifts to the person who is allegedly discriminated, uh, the discriminator, so to speak. Um, all they have to do is articulate a reason other than that as to why they made their actions that. And then the once they do that, so for example, say someone says, I'm, uh, um, they're evicting me because I'm transgender and they don't like me. Uh, the landlord, all they have to say is, no, it's really because they cause a nuisance. They, they, they um, blast music loudly and we've gotten a complaint. Mm -hmm. And that's once they do that, unless there is some very strong evidence to the contrary, there's nothing that a person can do. Wow. Um, yeah, that's horrifying. And so I, I'd love if you could walk us through um, the like what COVID has actually done, like where where we were before COVID and what COVID did to exacerbate this problem to to such an extent. Yeah. So before COVID, housing was already a problem. Um, mm -hmm. And there was already a lot of folks that were unhoused due to unemployment, not being able to have a job, being discriminated, um, lack of family support, which and made them be out on the streets. Wide um, array of issues there. Um, not that it was not bad before COVID, but it was not above the average. Since COVID has happened, or, or since it started, because we're still in the pandemic. Right. <laughs> um, it hasn't ended. Yeah. <laughs> Newsflash. <Yeah. laughs> um, so a lot of, initially, in the beginning, a lot of people that are outside the binary um, are considered unskilled workers. So they're in these frontline jobs like um, jobs that are working with the public, mm. whether it's food service, um, entertainment, etc., that um, caused a lot of people to be unable to work, which in turn made them unable to pay their bills. Mm. Additionally, a lot of folks that were already um, not not having stable employment so whether that was they were part-time and they only had so many hours and they were rotating or they were in and out of jobs etc um lost their jobs were furloughed because of the pandemic um and then we have the average amount of folks that would have normally been evicted anyway. And why do I say that is that they would have defaulted, not paid their rent for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. um, so all that combined, and then with the uncertainty of what can happen has just completely exacerbated the crisis of people being unable to afford their rents or pay their bills. And I've heard a lot of folks say, um, it was pay my bills or get my medicine. And I chose to get my medicine. Sure. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. 
Um, and so in terms of, of what can be done or, or, you know, what are, what are the ways in which we can support or, or the ways in which even, I don't know, advocating for legislation or, or help through the city councils, like what, what are things that can be done and are being done to help or that we can get involved in, um, if, if that's, you know, something that is an option to, to help these folks? I think, um, oh, so there's a few things. There's direct impact, which is there are always plenty of different um, folks that have different like um, mutual aid funds. Mm -hmm. So depending on where you live, I know here in San Diego, we have one. I'm sure they have one in LA. I know they have some up in the Bay. Yeah. And essentially, they're funds that folks put together, and it's usually through different organizations. Um, some are through like tenants unions for the city, and it's people that kind of crowdsource a bunch of money in, in the event that someone has um, an issue come up where they're unable to afford their rent they um, give those money directly to that person so mm. they can avoid being unhoused, yeah. which that's that's the most direct impact Got it. Um, outside of that say money because not everyone has money to dispose of um, what people can do is one raise awareness so a lot of times I hear folks say that I've never met a person that is not cisgendered before which is most likely not true. They just didn't know that. So um, just being aware of like the conversations they have in the way that they speak about people. So mm-hmm. when you um, working with folks that are on house, like I've had a lot of people say, um, people won't look me in the eye when they talk to me. So mm-hmm. just like the interactions we have with people. Right. Um, some one can tell if you're immediately uncomfortable when talking to them. Sure. So um, being aware of our own body language, if we were to interact with someone or the way that we unconsciously act when we walk by the street, when we walk down the street mm-hmm. and someone says, do you have some change? Sure. Or can, you know, can you help me buy me some food? Things of that nature. Mm-hmm. So like that's just every day. And then... Um, obviously on a larger level, when we talk about legislation and government, that can look like making sure that our elected officials are people that are supportive of transgender rights. Mm -hmm. So even during um, what we call down ballot elections, which are elections during the big, um, in between like the big elections for president or Senate, and we have like local elections of mayors and city council members or school board members. These are just people in our community that um, are passionate about government. And we can make sure that those people have um, transgender people on their radar or people outside the binary on their radar. I know for me, I just got um, like a text message not like last week about someone running for president, uh, not president, um, city council member. And it's like, they have, you know, who they're voting for, like the things that they're passionate about. And it said, do you have any questions? So of course I was like, what do you want to do for trans folks? Yeah. It's so, it, it can be something like that. Sure. Yeah. 
Uh, thank you for all of those resources. And we'll also put some in the, the show notes as well of like direct impact and then some other bigger um, pieces that are, are moving right now that, that you know, uh, folks can get involved in if they're, if they're interested in moved, um, which hopefully they will be. And so I'm curious about um, the online community that you've created. And, you know, I, I know you said that there are uh, like two other trans folks who are lawyers within San Diego, but through social media, it is such a connecting device and, and you're doing such awesome work in terms of, you know, um, raising awareness and, and just giving people more vocabulary to use and answering some questions that, you know, like giving alternatives for words that I didn't even think about. And so I'm wondering, have you expanded your community and what, what has, what has that been like if, if that is the case? Yeah, definitely. So, um, I've had people reach out to me that are in my city that I didn't know about. So that's cool. Um, I haven't met them because I've been super restrictive with who I see during COVID. Um, so that is like more locally, but absolutely, I have been reached out to by um, all different types of people, and I'm always welcome to have conversations with anyone as long as it's respectful. Okay. So that has been very cool where I've, so in real life, as we say, I don't know <laughs> too many trans folks um that I would be able to connect with on a daily basis. Mm. And now I've created this space where um, I'm inundated with folks that are in the community. I'm seeing what other people are doing and learning about all these different types of organizations and nonprofits out there that help um, people outside the binary or um, different events that people do or talks they do. So it's definitely been really cool and eye-opening yeah um and 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 as like using your platform like what are what are some of the biggest takeaways like especially from this episode that you would want somebody who maybe doesn't interact with trans folks or people outside of the binary all of the time um to take away and 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 to you know move forward with that information or or just awareness Okay, so I'm trying to think. That's a big question. It is a really big question. I tend to like ask these like huge questions. Uh, I'm like, go. (laughs) So no worries. I I think the main thing would be to not have any preconceived notions or boxes of what a trans or gender non-conforming person should look like or be Mm -hmm. like. So um, in the recent years, we do have much more media representation than even in the 90s of what um, trans or non-binary is. However, like each person has their own experience and um, there's not one way to be um, transgender or gender non-conforming. So I think that would be the biggest thing is that um, when meeting someone that's trans is just, accepting them for where they're at and who they are. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Um, just if we could do that with all people, right? Like just <laughs> if that was like a tenant of, of how we approached people, of like you get to just exist how you feel comfortable and I get to hold space for that. Um, wouldn't that be amazing? Well, this is... <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, well, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for, for sharing your time and, and your wisdom. How can people find you if they're interested in, in contacting you and, and joining your community and learning from all the amazing thing, things that you post? Yeah, so my main handle is Instagram. It's transcendthebinary underscore. And then I'm also on TikTok. Mm-hmm. where I make my videos <laughs> same name and, and those are pretty much my two handles if anyone wants to talk to me further they're welcome to directly message me and I can provide further contact information amazing um well this has been such a delight and I'm so thrilled that I got to meet you and connect with you a little bit so thank you so much yeah thank you for having me doing it by myself I need Will to compliment me with a harmony although we never really uh, had great harmonies because that is not my strong suit but you get it Uh, anyways thank you so much Dan for coming onto the podcast I had such a blast talking with you and and learning about the the work that you're doing with uh, you know housing and and helping folks out and then also this educational component that you're doing online which is amazing and like I said in the intro uh, just getting more conscious about language and asking questions of why do we gender certain things and and how can us as privileged folks and other fellow white folks uh, who do have privilege like how can we be mindful of language you know when we haven't struggled with it as much as other people and and so how can we be mindful and careful to to acknowledge and to be respectful of those other folks and be inclusive uh yeah it's not that hard uh and and I mess up all the time quite honestly and it's about it's about learning right and acknowledging your mistake and and then moving forward and taking that information and and not doing it again so anyways, thank you so much again, Dan. And as always, please follow us on social media. Uh, and by us, I mean I. <laughs> this new like solo thing. I'll get it. I'll get it eventually. Uh, so follow me with the podcast on social media at Finding My Young Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Slide into those DMs or the Gmail, findingmyyum at gmail.com. If you have suggestions of future guests, if you have feedback, if you have things that you want to hear about and talk about, I am ready to listen. And uh, so many of the guests that I have interacted with have come from listeners suggestions which is amazing so please please keep sending those my way and also please check me out on youtube i'm on the youtube uh i don't I'm like 70 years old now, but I am on YouTube. If you want to interact in a visual way, I get to see my weird faces and 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 voices uh, in in the facial expressions uh, and and my amazing guests. Please check us out there. Check me out there uh, at Finding My Yum Podcast on YouTube. Subscribe, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. It's so helpful. And uh, the more downloads and subscribers that I get, the more content that I can make and more ears that get to listen. And, and that makes me super excited. So I love you all. I, I'm so excited to keep bringing new content to you. Thanks for going on this journey with me. Please stay yummy. See you in two weeks. Thank <laughs> you.